Welcome, everybody. It's Watch Me Pod uh, coming to you with the the goodness about the game changers in punk emo and hardcore. I, as always, am your host, Jim. I'm Hugo. With us today, we've got Ian from Hanging Fortress and Holy Coast and Settle the Sky. Uh, Ian, welcome. How are you? I am facing a serious case of sheets gut. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it, it happens to the best of us, right? That's just that's just Midwest culture. Um, yeah, dude. It's, you, don't have a tum- <laughs> you don't have a tummy ache from sheets. Are you really? Uh, are you really a Midwesterner? I don't think you are. It's just, yeah, it's just a part of life. Um, um, I'm good, man. Good. Yeah, happy to have you here. Um, excited to to dive in today. We're going to be talking about the. Uh, legendary in, in my view legendary and mileage varies on this but the legendary uh emo indie band for the scenes forever before we get into it uh want to do what we usually do and have a little conversation about current events um shows that we've been going to uh records that we've been listening to quick little uh as i mentioned quick, quick little five minutes um hugo let's start with you uh, yeah, I guess I'll start off with I went to the No Pressure show in Chicago, um, and there was a little bit of a of a mix up that kind of happened because it was originally supposed to be at Chi Town Football, like one of our big DIY spaces. That's like this indoor soccer field. Um, it went under construction, so it got moved to Logan Square Auditorium which is kind of has like a VFW hall thing. It wasn't sold out, but I'd say maybe 400 or 500 kids for a matinee um, opener parade, uh, from Milwaukee. Uh, more like more like beatdown stuff to open it up. Uh, you had Instill, the, the youth crew. Great band. And yeah, I've seen them like so many times, but I, I never get tired of them and they seem out of all the locals that I've seen lately to have like a lot of heat, like in terms of people singing, singing along with them. Uh, you had Big Laugh, who just signed a revelation from Which Milwaukee. is so huge for them. I want yeah, that yeah. for those it's, motherfuckers. And it's like, it's like a little different from what Rev's been doing now, more like in the hardcore punk, punk lane. They were fun because I feel like the moshers didn't exactly know what to do with them because they're they don't necessarily have the traditional like two-step two-step parts or like sort of crowd killing stuff so i think it was a nice change of pace um pain of truth who who has all the heat right now probably my favorite set that i've seen from them so so far some i think like within a song someone had already split open their hand um Oh yeah. People just face planning from from crowd diving. Um oh, yeah. uh then no pressure, who who um I'm very big fan of and listening to that record like like crazy. Um they were great as as you would expect. Um the first time I noticed that Parker has like a weird divot in his chest and I couldn't <laughs> uh, I couldn't stop staring at it the entire time. That rules. But, but they rule and they were great. They did a no blink cover, but they covered Minor Threat by Minor Threat. Cool. So oh, that, that one. Solid. Um, and in terms of records, 
Nothing really. I guess the biggest one right now has been the regulate record, which um, I'm sure everyone here is at least taking a listen to. Um, I really dig it. Um, I think it takes some takes some interesting swings. I almost want to see them just make a pop record next. Like, yes, I think hair Same. is such a good track that I just want to see them lean even harder in that direction. This feels like one of those intermediary records before they do their full on suffer survive. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, like nothing, nothing really else. It's been pretty light for me. Yeah, that's, that is relatively light, even though for us, for any normal sane person, that would be a lot. Um, Ian, how about you? <laughs> uh, outside of the Ripper, we, we played last week, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. our band, respective bands. Um, ironically enough, we went to the same show. Yeah. Which was Sunny Day Real Estate yep. up in Detroit. Up in Detroit. Um, shout out your previous podcast episode that had me cartwheeling and enjoying the hot takes. But yeah, I mean, what can you say? It was a, I, we ascended <laughs> to fucking heaven. Um, enjoyed the um, experience of Jeremy Enoch just being absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And then uh, the power went out. <laughs> yes. During in circles uh, of, all, yeah. of all songs. Insane. Um, yeah. Totally, just totally cursed moment. Um, but the rest of the show was so immaculate that I feel like it almost didn't matter. Like, it was good that it didn't happen earlier. Right, because right. All the stuff that I really wanted to see. For yeah. sure. And, and, they, and literally... I mean, they had that reunion tour. What was it 2009 that they did that? Yeah. Um, and, they ha- and they had the original bass player, who I recently learned is an AIDS denier, which is wild. Oh, that's a whole fuck? other. That's yeah, dude. That's a whole other thing. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, nice. But but apparently, uh, I mean, people who saw that tour noticed that there was like a lot of tense and like we're doing this, but this is like, uh, you, you can see like a lack of fun, but uh, maybe you can, you can say the same thing. But when we saw, saw them play up in Detroit, um, they looked like they were having the time of their lives. Really did. Looked like a bunch of, a bunch of podiatrists and orthodontists just up there having the greatest time. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Bass player does it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, it was, as you said, immaculate. Yeah. Truly. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that was sort of the main first thing of the long run of stuff. Um, I went right after that to Furnace Fest um, and saw a bunch of bands there. I won't go deep into it. The highlights definitely were Dying Wish, who have just come a really, really long way over the last year and are fully professional, like they're a fully professional band. Emma is a front person on the order of Corey Taylor or anybody like in the big leagues. Um, sick, of it all. sick of it all are the best live band I've ever seen in my life. They're like one of my favorite hardcore bands and it was awesome finally getting to see them. Um, they, I don't know what the Collar Brothers are drinking. I don't know what they're like <laughs> injecting, but it is something that is rendering them superhuman because those men are ageless and they have more energy than most 20 somethings I know. Um, it is absolutely wild. Um, I'll have what they're having. Yeah, no shit. Uh, Elliot was great. Um, it was, even though they got their set cut a little bit short. I saw that. 
Poison the Well was fucking awesome. Like, I don't know why I expected Poison the Well to like not sound as good as they did, but they sounded amazing. Um, and they played like a really cool set list that, that had kind of stuff from all across their discography. It was a little more centered on the first two records just because those are kind of the most popular. And I guess there was a decent amount off the third too, because that's their, you know, big radio rock um, record, but that was nice. And then honestly, the probably the coolest thing for me was seeing um, Strike Anywhere because Damn. they're my, I, I, in terms of all timer bands, it's always like neck and neck between them and title fight for me. And like, they're, they're such an important band for me. And I, I'd never gotten a chance to see them prior to this. And I was like really, really close side stage for them. And to just get to see Thomas be up there and be so happy and then get to like meet him briefly afterwards and, you know, high five him and tell him how great he did. It was just awesome. So Furnace Fest overall, really great experience. I feel like it's a, a festival that from a, from a, from a concert goer perspective is really well put together. Uh, I've got some other opinions on like how it was as a vendor slash artist that I will keep to myself for the time being. Um, but, <laughs> but that's um, that it's neither here nor there. As far as, uh, as far as new records, I want to shout out. It's actually been a pretty, pretty lively couple of weeks. Um, Escuela Grind put out their debut uh, LP memory theater. And they did it. They made it with Kurt Ballou at God city, which is fantastic. And if you haven't checked out that band, this record's a perfect <laughs> way to get into it. Um, it's grind violence, um, played by a bunch of, uh, by a bunch of gay people and the lead singer looks like a Bratz doll and it's, and, and they have the craziest, most like frenetic, uh, live show and their records really reflect that. Um, uh, regulate records and incredible, totally, really, really ambitious, like almost ambitious to a fault. Um, shout out to homie John Markson for, um, making it because it sounds great because he's a total auteur in the studio um and then the high-vis record that came out um all this came out last friday high-vis also absolutely incredible um it sounds like a mashup of everything good that came out of britain from like 1989 to 1997 is the only way i know how to, to describe it effectively and that seems like it might be unfocused or slipshod sounding but it totally works so again Hive's regulate escuela grind and uh glitterer dropped an ep that's really good too so if you like glitterer i know that um we're a sort of a house divided on this pod on glitterer but um i really like glitterer because oh they, yeah i forget uh, that i i kind of forget about my opinion on glitterer yeah <laughs> it is what it is man reasonable people can disagree but yeah. um that's that's really it for me um it's an embarrassment of riches out here it's hard to keep track of all the good stuff and to get to all the good gigs and right. uh, it's always important to stop and smell the roses and <laughs> make sense of the like very rich time that we're in i think so um shout out to shout out to the culture shout out to hardcore shit is good um and obviously i, I want to just quickly shout out the show that you and i played together friday ian yeah uh, Hanging Fortress, Mika, Humid, uh, Toledo Hardcore, Toledo Metal, on top. Um, That's so fun. Champions, such a fun vibe. Um, mm -hmm. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode now. We are here to talk about 
little band called Further Seems Forever. Um, started in 1998 in Pompano Beach, Florida, Broward County. Um, root root source of so much good music over the over the years. Um, started sort of from the ashes of uh, primarily of Christian hardcore band Strong Arm, and then um, Chris Caraba, the original vocalist. Um, had been in a band called the vacant Andes and a band called red letter day. Um, the OG lineup was Caraba on vocals, Chad Neptune, uh, on bass, Josh Colbert and Nick Dominguez on guitar and, uh, Steve Cleaseth on drums. Um, that lineup changed a lot <laughs> over the years yeah. and disbanded and got back together many, many times as we will, as we will talk about, um if for whatever reason further seems forever is a blind spot for you i think it, they can be described pretty pithily as like indie emo i would say that they they represent sort of a perfect inflection point for me at least between 90s and 2000s emo right like so they're so much of what comes through in their sound particularly on the first album but sort of throughout their discography is a a more sort of refined and sort of stadium aspiring version of the, of the kinds of things that you would hear on, you know, um, the promise rings and knapsacks and even early Jimmy Eat worlds, but with a, but really like adventurous and I mileage varies, but I think overall pretty interesting approach to songwriting that gives their album sort of a really unique, um, texture, uh, the, the, the wiki is a little complicated on them because of how many lineup changes, but basically they made the moon is down in 2001. Um, shortly thereafter, um, Chris Caraba left the band to pursue his wildly more popular uh, project down the line, Dashboard Confessional, which everybody knows him for. Uh, in 02, Jason Gleason from Affinity joined the band. Um, the band records a couple of real attention getter uh, singles, uh, namely a, a Weezer Say It Ain't So cover and a NSYNC Bye 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 cover. Um, and then they make How to Start a Fire, their follow-up record, which comes out in 03. Shortly thereafter, surprise, surprise, um, they do a tour, but then Jason Gleason leaves the band uh, among some, again, some interpersonal turmoil. Uh, seems like from the lore, particularly heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, and then in pretty short order, because you mind you all, this is happening inside of like three years, which is kind of fucking crazy. Um, in a seemingly unlikely, but pretty awesome turn of events, the band links up with John Bunch of Sensefield, um, the real emo legend, yes. uh, to, make, to make Hide Nothing, which comes out in 2004. And then they do some pretty extensive touring with that lineup before breaking up for good with a big set of scare quotes. Uh, in 2010... For the Seems Forever reunite with Caraba. They played Gros Rock Festival in 2011 and they put out an album called Penny Black in 2012. Um, in 2015, Jason Gleason rejoins the band. They play some shows. Um, in 2016, John Bunch passes away from a suicidal drug overdose. RIP, the world's been fucked up ever since <laughs> um, Bunch passed away as you, as you, uh, pointed out so astutely Ian, like something has been fucked up in the fabric of the universe ever since that happened um they get back together with the og 
no, sorry. With the, they get back together with the Gleason lineup in 2021 to play yeah. best, um, and uh, which I would have liked to see, but I was not there. Uh, I was and, there. Oh fuck yeah! How was it? Um, the buildup was so stressful. Yeah. Um, and then we'll we'll get into it. I won't spoil the the, the takes on the how to start a fire record, but yeah. uh, there was a lot of talk. Is you and you know the vibe at Furtis Fest. Um, where depending on what stage you're at, um, obviously if you're going to see, you know, apple seed cast or mineral or further seems forever, you're in line with a bunch of like 38 year old to 42 year old dudes who are like, just like, Oh, this is our vacation. But they're also kind of just like talking like, well, I hope they don't, uh, I heard that they're not going to do this. Uh, uh. Yeah, there's a lot of huffing and puffing about like that because there was talk of them just going to be doing how to start a fire in its entirety. And some people were stoked on it. And a lot of people like me were like, but they played everything. Um, They did at least three or four bunch songs. They did all the classics. And I even saw them play. I went to the John Bunch Memorial show as well. Um, shout out Jimmy Huffman. He was my he was my co-pilot for that trip. Fuck yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't and know that. That's a good piece of lore. <laughs> yes, dude. Um, but both times I, I've seen them, they were they're great. I mean, whether you're a fan of Jason or Jason Gleason or not, he can sing his dick off and it's got, specific- got pipes for sure. Specifically for even uh stepping in for doing Caraba hits and, and doing some bunch hits too. So yeah, it was, it was great. Fuck. Yeah. Um, and then sort of most recently, um, they got together in early this year to play breakfast in Nashville with the, which is a, a morning, uh, festival for the old heads. Um, rules. Like, Holy shit. It's, it's hyper targeted towards like people in our exact age group in like it is, I, I know a bunch of people from Toledo who go every year, like Stan and Mickey and Manders and those, those people. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, they, they played that. Um, and that sort of brings us up to the current day. Um, is there anything, obviously like at the end, We'll sort of do like a high level assessment of like where we kind of think they're they sit impact wise and legacy wise. Um, but is there anything like wiki history uh, wise that we want to hit on before we uh, get into the discography, fellas? Uh, no, no, this is all very new to me as a first yeah. time listener to all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's cool that um, I forget who actually suggested this, it might have been you, Ian, but it was like it was definitely. <laughs> Um, it's definitely an interesting subject because I feel like this band is a band that people know the sort of hits of, but it's not a band that a whole lot of people besides myself, I know have depth in, um, like I just sort of have always had like a, uh, you know, sort of trademarked fixation on this band and, uh, and yeah, probably just because they were one of the first emo bands that I heard. Um, they would I would see them like on email lists when I was doing going backwards, but that's about it. It was just always a name. I feel like it's not like if you're going back to like second wave or third wave, 
this isn't one of the first ones you're doing because like you said they kind of sit in between right these, they're in a they're in a liminal pockets. liminal space yeah that 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 reminds me like we'll we'll do uh another thing we typically do that i always almost forget to do because my brain is uh not not on top of its game ever is let's talk uh briefly personal history with the band right hugo you already sort of covered that you you are going in pretty dry on this and didn't really have a, a history established with the band at all um ian what's your relationship with with fsf like what when did you when did you start in with them when did you discover them oh man it's i kind of had a beginning um where it kind of similar to to, to the that vein of just seeing the name around, you know, because especially in the early 2000s, um, a lot of the things that were catching wave were like your Taking Back Sundays and um, My Chemical Romances and stuff like that. And these guys were, I mean, Karaba is obviously a pretty boy, but like the rest of them were not like your typical emo band because they aren't they were christian hardcore dudes from the mid 90s right and, and by the time they came out with the moon is down they i mean they weren't like your typical like tight pants you know hot topic looking guys and so they i feel like they got lost in the fold but i had, I had heard um the moon is down um because of uh, shout out to uh my bandmates back on like they were just always the plug specifically going over to mad hatter um over in bowling green um just going out there shout and just out. shout out uh, yeah uh and i had i had heard a couple of songs off the moon is down just hanging out with friends and i thought it was cool kind of moved on from it didn't come back full circle until 2004 when hide nothing came out because i loved sensefield um, I'd always had an affinity for John Bunch. And when I saw that Bunch was in a, in a, in further, I'm like, I have to get this fucking record. Right. And then, and from that point I had to backtrack. And then when I backtrack, it, it, it started kind of like, uh, when you were briefly touched on a little few minutes ago, uh, where it's so easy to just maybe hear some of the hits and they kind of get lost in the fold. But when you immerse yourself in their music, it is so complex and different and just it sucks you in in a weird way and i was hooked i mean my first tattoo um is a further seems forever tattoo it's oh, fade, faded over time it's the lyrics to new year's project but yeah oh, fuck yeah good shit that's awesome man i didn't know that was i didn't know you had that much less than it was your first tattoo mm -hmm. uh, yeah sort of so I think you and I are like three years apart in age. Um, so I was sort of like a cohort behind you and that I, I discovered them through the Gleason material. Actually, I heard the sound in, this will be a fucking shock and surprise to everybody who's listened to this pod in a BMX video, which is how I discovered <laughs> so much stuff. Um, yes, dude. I heard the sound in a video part um, for a fellow named Dom Travato from, I think he's from Northeast Ohio. Um, but I was just like, this is the best fucking emo song I've ever heard in my life. Uh, what is this band? Um, right. This was late Oh three. And then right around the same yeah. time, the, some, some homies 
were like doing a DIY emo band, like my, some of my homies from high school who I would become friends with. Um, interestingly enough, a, 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 the crowd that Sponsler was adjacent to that I met Sponsler through, uh, they were in a band called um, The Safety of Routine and Further Seems Forever was like at the tippy top of that band's vision board. And they, 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 and they jocked them a lot and name checked them a lot. And so I was like, well, this band has to be really important. I think I almost had an inflated sense of the for the Seems Forever's magnitude because of those two things combined. You know, back then before the deep internet existed, it was really just like, you could look things up, but you kind of just had your own little myopic view of what was important and what mattered. Um, so I forget, I don't think I ever bought a physical of any of this stuff, but I like LimeWired. Um, fucking, I want to say that, moon is down and how to start a fire hide nothing wasn't out yet um and got pretty pretty uh taken with it i think at that point i was just because i loved the sound so much i was a little bit more how to start a fire pill but then when i revisited in the mid 2010s when i had my big like mall emo renaissance when all the albums kind of hit their 15 year anniversary I really got fucking obsessed with Moon Is Down. Yeah, that record, that record has stayed pretty consistently in my rotation for the last six or seven years. Um, eh. Occasionally, I'll fuck with um, How to Start a Fire because I think it has some strong tracks. But we'll get into all of that. So that's sort of my history. The band has remained a fixture because, again, like you said, I think that they're they scratch a really interesting itch that no other band really does. Like they truly have a unique approach to songwriting that I think is um, really great at its at its best. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the discog guys. Um, Boot is down. Came out in two thousand one on Tooth and Nail, the big the big fucking household name, Tooth and Nail Records. Um, the uh, real womb of of the Christian hardcore and hardcore adjacent music that we. Uh, that we know and love today that became so monoculture, particularly in our part of the country because of Cornerstone Festival and such. At the mic on this album, like I mentioned earlier, was Chris Caraba. I think it's pretty undeniably their most critically acclaimed record. Um, and I think one might think, and this might be partially true, that this is because Caraba is attached to it and he has just such star power and has had such cultural impact through, um, through Dashboard. But I don't entirely agree with that because this record is also just like a pretty perfect record wall to wall. Like, I don't really think that there are skips. And I think that for however weird the pacing of the record is, like, I do think it, I, I do, I do think that it actually holds momentum um, in a way that a few of their other releases really do. Now, before I get too much deeper into stuff, I'm going to kick it over to, to Hugo, uh, and then we'll go over to you. Yeah, I would, I, I would push back that I think this record doesn't work unless it's Caraba. Right, is the is the thing because Caraba is so fe theatrical. He's so he's so like indicative of what third wave emo in the two thousands is, where this is this girl breaking up with me is the most important thing that's ha happened to any human that's ever existed. Yeah. And I, and he, it, 
he carries a level of gravitas that like no other songwriter does. And I, I think this is, as someone who's not like a big dashboard person, this is the most palatable version of him because of what you're saying with this songwriting. It's perfectly pitched and you can tell these are, these are hardcore dudes writing emo by the, yes. by the way they write. It has a nice balance of the more up-tempo stuff of like the 2000s versus like the slow stuff that's like maybe these dudes were listening to Christy Front Drive for a couple of these songs. Um, yeah, a really great opener, obviously. Um, yeah, I, for, I really, I could see why people dug, dug this a lot. Um, I think that's all. I, I really have to say, I was just, I was really, I was really impressed with it. And I think um, it might be why I was a little bit more judgy of the record that came after. <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. Ian, how about, what's your takes on this one? Okay, so there's so much to explore with this band and, and um, specifically with this record. And when you start doing, when you listen to, the, to an album, you know that an album is incredible when it pulls you in so much where um, wherever you're at, you have to dive in and learn more about who the fuck these people are and where they're from and what's going on. And, and this album is very much a snapshot in that history. You know, the music is so mature already. It's so complicated and so well-performed because they were very already kind of established strong musicians. And the performance that Chris Caraba does is so enthralling. And uh, Hugo used the term theatrical um, because when he was recording the record, he knew he was leaving. Yeah. And so he had, there's so much inspiration from to, to pull from. You can hear it, you feel it. You know, he knew that his time, he, he was not feeling it anymore. He wanted to move into a different direction, but he had this inner turmoil that like, because everybody in this band, he was friends with. I mean, they're all pretty much just local Florida boys and they've been around the scene and he genuinely loves the people. And so he had this real hard time where like he wanted to break out and do this thing but he also loved his friends and it's such an emotional thing. And that performance came out on this record. And that's why, it, you know, you can say like it wouldn't work without Caraba. And I do agree with that because it's such a specific snapshot of where Caraba was at that time. And obviously when we get to black, it'll be a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. Whole different can of words there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's you. You hit on a lot of the points that I I was inevitably gonna gonna hit, right? Like, it's a, it's truly a bottled lightning album. Like, and I think the most beautiful albums, especially from this era where things were like happening so quickly at a high level, like that. That's there's a common thing where like so many of these really pivotal albums from this time couldn't have happened under any other circumstances, right? Like. And this, this album is, I think, the kind of the epitome of that. Um, 
Caraba was the the glue that the band needed at this point to to set the agenda to plant its flag in the stand in the sand so to speak to to establish itself right because like they're it's it's a really adventurous style of songwriting that, that fucking works because you have Caraba taking the ball across the goal line at every at, at, in every song uh, and you have how just compelling he is as a lyricist and and a vocalist sort of guiding the song through the through the track um and we're gonna get into like how that dynamic varies um on the next record for instance but i really do think that like it's pretty undeniable even if you're just listening to this album context free that like caraba very much is an mvp like he's just hilariously good at writing and delivering lyrics and his voice is, is fucking amazing um, and I do, I do think that he um, does represent this kind of perfect, uh, perfect pivot point between some like the '90s style vocalist that's a little bit more like resigned and reserved, and a little more just down to earth and flatly affected, versus like the really, really maudlin stuff that gets popular in the early 2000s. That you know, Gleason is somebody like Gleason is much more representative of. Um, some of the strongest tracks in the discography on this album right like obviously like from a ballad side snowbirds and townies is kind of the one from my opinion like obviously it was a it was a single there was a really awkward music video for it that had jason Gleason in it singing lip-syncing <laughs> vocals which is fucking funny um well, that that felt very fucking ham-fisted because it literally just feels like they just found this guy and pulled him off the street and put box dyed black hair on him and put them put him in this video which yeah, go do that which what happened yeah. um and then but you have a song also like on the other side of the coin um a song with madison prep that has a level of like drive and urgency that they really don't hit anywhere else in their discography that really is like you know a, a proper like almost like texas is the reason style like driving 90s yeah. banger um and i think that these songs sort of really set the two archetypes um for the 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 sort of two sonic goalposts that the that the band operates between for the rest of their for the rest of their time uh just bangers and ballads right and i think that the the way the the band adheres to these you know these tropes and navigates them is part as a part of the framework that really allows them to to be adventurous and right and you know the, what hugo mentioned very accurately to be like this you know transmogrified hardcore style of songwriting right like you see the the hardcore songcraft sensibility put in a really interesting context in this band and i think that this this album in a lot of ways really is the peak of it so um any anything else on this one um yeah just a little bit i think it's interesting how this does set the template but they they never really return to this record at all right. sonically right. which which i find very very interesting where like I would almost describe what comes after like almost like adult contemporary like it's 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 inoffensive and but not like in a bad way but it's but you can see they're starting to distance themselves from maybe that hardcore song craft towards something something else that's maybe a little closer to indie rock yeah 
Um, absolutely. Uh, that being said, yeah, let's talk about how to start a fire again. <laughs> two, two, two years later, a completely trivial amount of time in the grand scheme of things because everything was happening so fast during this time, which is a thing that we keep coming back to on this pod. This album came out in 03 uh, on Undecided Records and an imprint that the band started um, called Pompano Basic. Um, Jason Gleason, as we mentioned, on the mic for this one. Um, a lot of lore uh, exists around the sort of drama surrounding this album and Gleason being in the band and the sort of unwinnable position that uh, Jason was put in uh, and following Chris' footsteps, the immense amount of pressure that he was under to sort of fit that mold. Um, that being said, I do think that this record has its high points and it's not the flawless masterpiece that the moon is down is, but it like does have a pretty cohesive vision. And most importantly, like the tracks on it are really strong before I say anything more, I'm going to kick it over to you, Hugo. Um, yeah, I would describe this record as fine. It's, it's like a perfect, <laughs> like three out of five, you know, it's like, yeah, it has a cohesion to it, but there's not, I don't know, Gleason doesn't really seem like he has a lot to say. It's almost, it's almost like a Further Seems Forever, like cover band, like of, of what you'd think a Further Seems Forever song would be. It's so almost like, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to pull on a thread that you, that you wove in an earlier episode when you called, when you called Throwdown Straight Edge Mad Libs. This, this, these songs almost feel like emo Mad Libs at, at, at that point, which is fun. Yeah. Y'all are killing me right now, dude. <laughs> I, it's. This fucking rules. Like, I just, there was nothing about it. I, yeah, like it, it's like you say, like the worst thing a record could do is inspire almost no response and that's almost what it did it wasn't even bad or inoffensive it was it was just it was just fine and i i think what makes me love hide nothing is how is it's just how different lyrically it it is from what caraba does i think this just isn't distinctive enough for me to like for me to love it and um yeah yeah, like, it's fine, is, is my short review. Ian, what's good? <laughs> Dude, all right, so you hit on some serious tender points there about this record. You know, the emo Mad Libs has me fucking sent right now because that's literally what it is. But if you look at it in the context of, again, you know, <laughs> neurodivergence coming in, uh <laughs> Just looking at the context of, of, as you call it, the lore of Jason Gleason, he was a kid. By all, in comparison to, to the established band of Further Seems Forever, he was significantly younger. Um, obviously being put in the fucked position of following Caraba. And you can hear that in the performance. I mean, there's some songs where you can see where he's really trying to not, I am not Chris Carava. And then there's other songs where he's trying to hone that first record sound, but it's not natural to him. If I could 
put any kind of words to how I describe this record. I, mean, I, love, I love Hugo's just like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I will add that it's to me when I listen to it now, it reminds me of identity crisis. You know, it's it, it's a genuine identity crisis. Yes. Where, I mean, there's songs where, like, again, he, he when you're listening to lyrics, when you're listening to even the performance of the lyrics, you're like, what are you trying to say to me? Yeah, you don't know. I mean, there's, I mean, I can't remember what track it was. I was re-listening to it today. And he was almost trying to channel some Daryl Palumbo. And kind of like almost when Daryl tries to do that kind of schmoozy, yeah, kind of yeah. the, the hot topic crooning, like that's, yeah, and that's not Jason. Yeah. It's not his voice, and the music is is solid. And I I, I think it kind of has the the counterpoint of what the moon is down, um was and, and when hugo's point was it wouldn't be anything without caraba or it wouldn't be what it was w- without caraba if this album didn't have jason gleason it would probably <laughs> be just as what it was is a decent album yeah. um and you kind of see that because the next record um is was supposed to be for jason and just never happened. And it's wild to me. We'll get we'll get into it, but it's wild to me that on that record we really see that like this is a band that the vocalist and lyricist makes or breaks it because that record is so much better than this record because of Bunch. Um, again, a lot of the good a lot of the good takes have really already been aired out about this record. So I'm really just like bringing up the the rear of the train here. Um, like what I will say is that the sound and against my better judgment are two of the stronger tracks in the catalog. Um, they drastically outshine anything else on this album. My whole thing is that like, in addition to everything that you, you know, talked about, about uh, Jason, you know, kind of seeming like a man without a country and sort of going through the motions and, you know, very out of his depth. Um, I also just feel like this album doesn't they didn't get the pacing formula right on it at all like it really so much of this album just drags for me in a way to where like even even though it isn't particularly long it just feels like such a fucking chore to get through and like for me it's just like if I'm if I'm reaching for an album that uh you know that I that I want to you know elicit this the vibe of this very specific era not not reaching for this record like i i'll reach for i don't know i can't think of a good example <laughs> right now but it's, it's just, hard yeah dude. but it's not um like it's just not it's just not not exceptional um i would like rather for the same emotional palette i would i would rather you know reach for something like fucking census failure jimmy world and split the difference right like yeah um can i make a note about the sound yes okay just a real quick note about the sound i just have to say this i have to air the grievance uh the most frustrating chorus lyrics of all time in this genre 
Those lyrics are so frustrating to me. <laughs> Elaborate on that. I'm just okay. curious, I think that I, I think that I agree with you, but I'm just curious to, to see. Um, what I they, the first, when I first heard that song, if you don't listen to what he's saying and just hear the, da, 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 you know, like you're like, oh, this is super catchy and a sweet hook. It's 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 sugary. It hits. It's nice. But then when you look at the lyrics, it's like, uh, like spinning around naked and uh, spitting in a bucket full of apologies. It just the, the the mental imagery that I had as, you know, like an 18, 19 year old. I'm like, yeah, what what are you saying? What are you saying? Like, I, I mean, I get metaphors. I get art. I mean, art is severely open and. But just this idea, I'm just picturing a naked Gleason just spinning in a circle in his living room, spinning in a fucking bucket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that, that tracks. I also, I, my, my grape is actually like uh, a completely sort of other-sided gripe, which is I, I think that the, um, the, the phrasing of the, the phrasing and the cadence of the lyrics on the chorus is painfully awkward. Like I, I, I don't under, yeah. understand like like it it feels like you just took a piece of prose and like this works when hot water music does it so i can't figure out why it doesn't work for other bands um but like <laughs> you when you take a chunk of prose and just shove it into a fucking stanza structure and it's just like well okay well this kind of works but you have all these weird like um wrong emphasis on the wrong <laughs> where do you breathe where do you breathe yeah so um hugo you had something to say sorry oh uh, yeah i just i think the way ian phrased it in terms of it's not only like lyrically like abandoned crisis but you can kind of just take this as uh, you can extrapolate that like to the whole the whole record where it's like they needed this one to figure out exactly where they wanted to go to next for for hide nothing i think hide nothing doesn't happen without this so even as much as i'm like it's fine it's like it needed to happen to get the next one and sometimes that's how it is with with bands like this i mean you can use the yeah. analogy of the, of the rebuild year for a sports team right like there needs to be there's sometimes <laughs> years where things fucking suck dick a little bit in order for you to like come out better at the other end like that's um i think a useful useful analogy uh, anything else before we move on to hide nothing? Nah. All right. Well, um, my personal favorite, um, we're just going to get right out there. Um, came out in 2004 on Capital Christian. Um, I think that there are few arguments to be made against the moon is down being just like kind of objectively the best and most complete statement from further seems forever. Um, I think again, the record stands on its own merits, even without like the Caraba effect. <laughs> like, I just think it's a, it's a perfect record. Uh, now, that being said, Hide Nothing is my favorite of the records by a decent margin. I don't want to say a fucking mile or anything, but it's, it, it's going to always have the number one spot in my heart. I am just head over heels in love with it. Um, bunch just takes everything he's involved into the, the next level. Um, and I think that having somebody who 
it's almost just like the complete polar opposite in every conceivable way of what Gleason was, which is like Bunch was a decade older than everybody else in the band and was very experienced and had an entire music career under his belt and knew how to like had a had a like surgical special forces level grasp of emo songwriting. And so the 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 things that he was able to do with the you know the ingredients that he was given it's like what makes a good chef right like you you can put the same set of ingredients in front of two different chefs and then just based on their vision and skill get fucking wildly a wild quality gradient between the two things and that's what's happening here right like the in specifically in this you know in the context of this band like it's becoming abundantly clear that the that the singer is the chef and uh what they are able to do with the ingredients that the rest of the band gives them determines how good the final product is um they they're back to a little bit more of an urgent pacing on this record which i, I think is interesting i don't know how much bunch has to do with that or how much it's just like they realized i think probably what happened is that they realized that maybe it was they were a little too drag ass on um, how to sort of fire and wanted to sort of correct from that but either way I find that the pacing of this record to be way more way more palatable than um, while still having you know this kind of trademark for the seems forever ebb and flow to it which they wouldn't be themselves without this this album just proves that that the front man like I said the MVP uh, and the songs reach a level of anthemic on this record, I think largely thanks to the, the, the bunch sauce um, that doesn't really get beaten out at all in the rest of the discography. Like the anthems on this record, particularly light, light up ahead uh, are just so transcendent. They're so transcendent uh, and scintillating. Oh, yeah. And I love it. I love it, man. Like I, I, this record to just pull, pull from an earlier episode that we did, this record's on like a very similar footing to Sunny Day, How It Feels to me in, term, for, in terms of like being a very spiritual record for me. Um, just, I, I can't say enough uh, about how sad I am that John Bunch is gone. Um, yeah. We really, it's one of the biggest losses our culture has ever taken in terms of losing, a, losing an A player way too early and just a great human being way too early. Um, this record, I think, for me, as crazy as this might sound, this record is the top of the mountain for anything Bunch has ever done. So, um, I, I, as I, as I sort of, as is customary, I got out ahead of everybody and cut everybody off just now. So we're going to kick it over to, to Hugo now. <laughs> and it ends with a classic Jim House. This is the best of X. Um, I have all I have Alzheimer's disease, dude. It's uh, <laughs> what, what, what can I say? Yes, dude. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you gotta live your truth. Um, yeah. I was really, I was really surprised by this. I'm not even the biggest Sunsfield person, so my John Bunch like familiarity is pretty small. But I, I think lyrically, it's it's a really fun to to do a reading right next to Caraba because the way they talk about relationships and love in general is just completely completely different it it um bunch is like it's much more 
much more of a personal personal philosophy thing it has less to do about like the specificity of a relationship like i think he ends the record with it's a cruel cruel world without love which is basically the summation of this of this entire record to me um and even there's parts where i'm like this is a i love my partner record not a like looking back at something bad that happened it's still still very dramatic but it's very empath empathetic um i think of like make it apart that song a lot um yeah and i think i think songwriting wise it's like perf they like perfectly ma match each other band and bunch um yeah i i was really i was really impressed especially especially for a third record for seems forever it has better it's better than it has any right to be especially after the one that came before yep um yeah i i was yeah like basic basically just really impressed and um one that i'll that i'll come back to and i think it's one that i connected to lyrically a lot and it's it's almost like you were saying jim it's like very psychedelic and in a in a certain way that that transports me to other parts of my life Ian. Yes. So I'd be remiss if I didn't admit that this is the the moment <laughs> that Jim and I were were kind of like in in our casual conversations, sort of alluding to because we our mutual love for Bunch. Um, this album has so much weight to it, and I would go so far as to say the importance of this record in the in the span of the Further Seems Forever discography um is my favorite by a heavy margin not just a decent one um but that is from a place of severe bias um because the time where this particular record became the most important to me was uh at the time that i was really listening to it i was going to a, a dead-end shitty factory job every day and i would just pop this record in on my way to work every day and it just it got me through some of those tough times of just like life really fucking sucks but like hearing john in every single track there is not a single skip track on this record it's a and it's con it's consistent and every record is just laced in this hope and this like you fucking got it dude it's gonna happen just get in there you know there it, it's it's so inspiring it has um and especially if you know who bunch was and where he came from in southern california he grew up with punk and hardcore you know he that was his i mean that was his his uh his dna yeah and a lot of county guy yeah yeah he i mean he was very much into the ins inspiration like the the hopeful you know like get pick your fucking ass up and fucking get out there and do it dude sort of mentality and that was just such a beautiful thing of his character that he was able to just paste on top of the most beautiful put together just composition i mean of the records so far that they had put out i mean their music musicianship was always stellar they're always great but the cohesion that this point has already been touched on was is, is a lot more collected 
The tracks really hit one another. It's so mature and it blows me away that they had written and recorded this record with the intention of having Jason on it. And then Jason dipped and they just had a wild hair on their ass. And uh, if I'm getting the lore wrong, please correct me. But they pretty much were just kind of like just sending this record uh, to people like who you want to sing on it. And and I think it was Chad Neptune made the comment of uh, we knew John from Sensefield from years prior. We knew that Sensefield had just kind of broken up. We just on a whim sent him a demo. Yeah, they shot their shot. They just straight up just yeah. like cold call him on it. And, and I know that like he had he had initially he talks pretty candidly about how he thought it was kind of weird and he 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 felt sort of awkward about it because he was you know a a 10 not only 10 years older than everybody but was like this you know six foot six mastodon of a, <laughs> you know uh he wasn't a pretty boy man yeah exactly right like and it's it's one of those things where like it didn't matter at the end of the day because the what, however many imperfections and, and you know, sort of uh, gaps there were, that's where all the richness in this record comes from. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, good, good record. Really. I think, I think it was done a major disservice by two things um, when it came out, because 2004 was like such a bonanza year. Like there was so much stuff that came out and especially in the like emo space. I mean, fuck you had futures you had um they're only chasing safety like all these yeah and and in love and death and um like three cheers like all those fucking albums were massive and i think that so sad undertow that really uh took this album out of out of potential limelight that it could have gotten um I also think the album art's kind of dog shit, and I know that like that's that's something that, that's that's something that like that's something that matters for a record. It can really kneecap a record, and like the, it it feels like um, the, this album art very much feels like they they said like the year is two thousand four. Make a fucking uh, make the most of the time album art imaginable because it looks like the fucking same as like a goddamn Walls of Jericho record. Uh, it's just like okay, well. Um, so oh my I, god uh, I, I that that might be a hard opinion but i it feels very museum pc that doesn't feel very timeless whereas i think an album like the moon is down like some of the more timeless album art ever made fair uh, but i will uh, you made a point and i have to say it uh, on how to start a fire when i first saw that album artwork for that record i thought it was an old zayo album cover <laughs> dude for sure yeah it, that like very much uh and I know it's probably just the Christ core of it all, but they were just like they were, they were you know, from the Christ core ecosystem, and they were just like, yeah, yeah, I guess out, boys. albums look Christ corey because um, they're cute or whatever. But it, I don't think it ages particularly well. Um, that um, no, that that said, record bangs, and I think that you should not. This record is a blind spot for people for whatever reason, and it is. It is much better than how to start a fire. Like objectively, I have like no idea how anybody with like a working set of ears and a brain could think otherwise. Right. And, and it's yeah. Go ahead. And I'm I think sorry. that and I think that it's I personally think it's objectively almost as good as Moon is down. Um, and I obviously like it quite a bit more. So right. Um, and the, the songwriting on it, 
um, specifically John's lyrics, the lore and what makes it even more of a fucking just mind fuck that this album is so immaculate. He was writing the songs as he was recording them. Yeah. He, like, so he, he went in. Yeah. He, he went in and had lyrics for, I think it was light up ahead or, you know, he had lyrics for hide nothing and like maybe one other song and he tracked them and um, he sort of uh, just kind of mapped it out where it, he would go in, record a song, and then that night stay in the studio and just write the next song he was going to record the next day. And what completely blows my ass wide open is how the last track, for all we know, he ad-libbed the entire fucking thing. Didn't even write lyrics. He just he just did it off top of his head because they ran out of studio time. And the guy was like, ah, we're just going to run tape. Whatever you got in your brain meat, just roll with it. And it's the most beautiful, hopeful, fucking It's And uh, you, you touched on such an important point that 2004 was such a shitty time for this album to come out because so many bangers and so it was so lost in the fold and so much beauty and lore got lost uh sorry <laughs> I, think, I don't know if this is a record if you're thinking about emo and all four for the audience that would have necessarily connected to like a 16 or 17 year old that's a fact that's a fact and, and <laughs> very, very, mature, very adult yeah like like as a 29 year old i'm like this is the most moving thing i've ever I've ever read or heard, but I think thinking of myself at 11 years old, if I heard this for the first time, I'd be like, this is boring. I'm going <laughs> to listen to Three Tears again. Yeah. No, it's, it's yes. sexy about this record. It is, uh, it is, uh, it, it's adult contemporary for black t-shirt people, but it's, but it's fucking awesome. So, uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, no, that, that said, let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, let's move on to the shitty record. <laughs> yes. Um, so obviously all the, all the stuff transpired that we talked about at the top of the episode and, uh, uh we'll get back together, do some stuff. Caraba rejoins the band and they put out, uh, Penny Black in 2012 on, uh, Rise Records, um, which was at this time, just like the, uh, the whipping boy label where um where just like camp lived um now i think it's become more of a retirement community uh than anything else but rise was like the hype label for a lot of the um you know black skinny jeans swoopy hair shit um that was happening at the time um so uh they did a really smart thing <laughs> on this record and put one of the strongest songs if not the strongest first to to you know get people's attention right because i remember like the homie put this record on shortly after it came out um and i was like oh no uh, interesting this is uh this is pretty good because so cold is undeniably a fucking banger of a song um even though it's not a further seems forever song it's a fist pumper uh, but uh but but then the 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 <laughs> the rest of the record is is much uh, not much less great uh the thing immediately has like a way more fucking stadium emo 
vibe, which I don't know if that's a widely used term, but it's a term that I don't I've even think this is an emo record, if I'm being I, honest. Oh, for sure. But I mean, to the to the same extent that like, I also don't fucking think that goddamn like starting line direction is an emo record or a pop punk record. It's like in this sort of uncanny valley of just uh, uh, tight pants rock. Uh, I guess, for lack of better better words, but let's let's kick it over to you, Hugo. Um, yeah, I did not like this record so much that I decided <laughs> halfway through it I wasn't gonna finish it. Hey, hey it is what it is, but <laughs> I I I don't even like that first song that much. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. It's it's fine. It's it's not even like it's directionless. It's just. I don't, it's not even, it's, it's not even a, a boring, it's not like before where it was a boring burger sings forever, like, um, abandoned crisis. This is, it's just, it's just bad. There's, there's like, it's the opposite of, of record that makes its case to exist. It makes its case that it shouldn't exist. Yes. Like numerous um, times. Like. Like I read an interview for it, and it was it was nice seeing the thought behind it. Where it's like maybe like to see what a second further seems forever record with Chris Carabo would be, but it it's just bad. There's there's absolutely nothing that nothing interesting about it. <laughs> yeah, um, Ian. <laughs> oh my God. I felt that to my core because yeah, I mean, this, this record was such a fucking disappointment. Um, but again, I, but it with the thing, the continual theme with this band, at least for me is when you, I've always, when if something like this, like I listen to it, I'm like, this is dog shit, but I love this band. It inspired me of like, what is the context of this record and why does it fucking exist? like Hugo said it shouldn't fucking exist uh, but when you look at the context of why they did it where it was recorded and what was sort of inspiration for it you're just kind of go well then, then I, I guess it makes sense for what it is because the bottom line is literally everybody on this record they're in their 40s late 40s early 50s at this point you know and, and that's Garaba, who is literally only 40 right now <laughs> Which is crazy. No, no, uh, he's, no, he's in his mid forties now. You're right, but yeah, the was still, but like, yeah. but like, but they were all, but the band outside of Caraba had all genuinely gotten like web design jobs, yep. IT jobs, were office people just for like the past 15, 20 years since they put out the Moon Is Down, and they were just kind of like. Uh, I think this is one of the, the pieces of lore was like they were starting to get together to play like pick up basketball together. <laughs> and like, you know, it is like they just became friends. They were like, oh, dude, I fucking miss my friends. You know, it's sort of like the crisis you get in your mid 30s and early 40s of just like, damn, dude, I kind of miss hanging with the boys. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe I go ask the boss to. You know, let me out. I might be able to hang out with my friends for a little bit, and and that's pretty much what this record is. And um, it was Chris reuniting with his old buddies, and they were like, you know, it'd be fun. 
uh, come down to my home studio. This is Caraba. Come down to my home studio with my fucking big immaculate dashboard money, you know, and let's like jam and, and have a fucking hoot nanny. And that is what this record is. It is specifically recorded at Caraba studio produced by Chris Caraba and his team, which is why, uh, the vocal production is so share auto-tuned and yeah. so like just oh, man. i thought i was going crazy with the auto-tune i thought i was doing things no it you can tell the a vocalist produced it because yeah. he was so fine-tuned on my voice needs to be here and it's got to be perfect and as far as like inspiration for the, the music's okay but you can tell that these guys had not like jammed in a while and they were just kind of like this is cool you know just find like one kind of noodly riff and going hey look at that there it's it's nice it's a nice thing go put that on tape and crystal you know four months later slather that motherfucker with auto-tune singing about trains (laughs) (laughs) like so when you have the context for what it is i i listened to it on the way down to columbus today um as part of my journey and I, and I, my, the first time I listened to it, I had the same reaction as Hugo. I got midway and I was like, no dude, I can't, it's bad. But I, 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 I soldiered through again. I soldiered through again today and listening to it in the car and kind of going the context of like, these are just buddies doing a thing. You just kind of go, all right. It's bad. I mean, yeah. it, 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 if you're looking for art for art's sake, sure. But yeah, there's no direction really. It's very bipolar. Um, I think of the tracks, I think there's maybe two songs, maybe three that you listen to, you go, ah, there's a little further, there's further soon right there. Like uh, the song uh, On the Outside. Yes. It's a very, yeah, it's a very, classic sounding like oh there's their twinkle kind of and steve is doing his little jazzy thing and there it is and then um fuck what song is this uh system of symmetry what the fuck is that track what is it (laughs) it's it's nothing of their it, it just sounds like they were messing with loop pedals yeah, well, and there are just there are moments on this record. So for one thing, yeah, um, on the outside definitely sounds like a further students forever song, and so do at least parts of staring down the sun, like the chorus in particular, yep. I think. But my biggest my biggest issue with their this record is it's not a fucking further students forever record. Like it doesn't have any of the like sonic uh, fucking uh, key ingredients that make it like live and breathe as a further students forever record. It literally just sounds like a it sounds like a you you like programmed a fucking ai to write a mid-tier rock record um and for you know for people who like craft beer uh what i'm <laughs> it's like it's not it's, it's not a fucking it's not a thing and uh, and there are points on this record that i just found straight up offensive like there there are there are moments where the vocals straight up border on just sounding like imagine dragons and i'm not 
not here for it. Like it sounds like like one Republic or Imagine Dragons or that, you know, whatever stuff that was very popular at this point that probably fucking played a role one way or another in inspiring it. It's just like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, again, you guys put it perfectly. Like I just, this, this record shouldn't exist. Um, it's like good for them for, you know, following their truth and doing what they, you know, having wanted. some fun, some oh, laugh yeah. with the boys. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't take away that this is just forgettable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> thankfully, there's so much other, so much other richness that lives in this discography that to where this like didn't this. I don't think this record like. I don't think this record was like overall very net negative for their legacy because people just understood that this record was just like uh, <laughs> they were throwing some they were throwing some subway lunch meat at the mall at the wall and they missed. Uh, it, 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 it bounced off the wall uh, yeah. uh, cold cuts got a little stale yeah cold cut combo uh just just cratered on the floor didn't hit the wall at all um no yeah so so that being said uh we got, oh, to, shit. We got, we got through it um i yes. sort of wrapping up on on my end sort of like my high level shit i'll kind of say what i thought first and then throw the peanut over to you guys like i th- i really do think that in their own weird way i think further seems forever are a best in class band but i also think it's because they kind of stand on their own like i don't think that they they really have a whole lot of musical peers because they their whole thing was they just like existed in these sonic and cultural liminal spaces right like they were in the weird liminal space between like christian hardcore and kind of night in the kind of third wave emo but then also like indie rock and they were just sort of men without a country and when when you don't have peers like it does um it does allow you to you know set your own agenda and sort of get get noticed on your own merits and not really have to like compete with anybody you can just sort of dominate your own space the thing that i think that they ran into is that they weren't they didn't really do themselves any favors and set themselves up for success in terms of actually dominating that space because I mean had so many fucking lineup changes uh, and they couldn't they couldn't make a consistent legacy and like while I think that at a conceptual level having a different vocalist every album is like a really cool gimmick it would have been a way cooler gimmick if like it had been premeditated and deliberate and methodical as opposed to like fucking chaotic which is the way it actually played out like it just ended up being a fits and starts thing um, rather than like I've seen firsthand, like hit the lights were a band from here in Ohio that like they would probably be way bigger if after their first album, their uh, singer hadn't like put like had gone through a huge crisis and quit the band because it means they lost like 18 months worth of momentum while they tried to figure out what their singer situation was. And it's like those kinds of crises when the world is moving very fast as it was in the early 2000s like they can really kneecap you you can really lose a lot of momentum and so yeah. I, I think that they're for how good they are how like high the high points in their discography were and how kind of marketable they were as a band at a vibe level like especially with their tracks i do think that they could have made a bigger impact if they had you know kept a little more momentum under them and that's that's kind of what i have to say we'll go over to you first hugo and then, yeah, I don't I don't have very many high level things except that like this was just a fun exercise and I think it is one of those interesting curios given that they've had three or three different different vocalists that there's 
that this is a pretty layered discography in in a different in a different way from some of the other bands where some where they went through a pretty big sonic evolution where listening to the to their first record versus their last one it feels like an entirely different band and um yeah i don't know what their what i what their legacy is ultimately i think as as i said before as this sort of bridge of what emo was at in 2001 when this record is released it's just as emo's going going through this phase where it's going where bleed americans going to come out and it's going to be forever forever change and i think they're an interesting test case to to show where the genre slowly went and how they they were maybe always a little out of step with it like you said yeah i think that like the common theme is that there was really light speed shit going on surrounding this band but the, the band was never part of the light speed and honestly like i do think a thing that's really worth considering is that like all three of us are musicians in various capacities um and also hugo you're a consummate music critic i do think that like we have massively different sort of calibrations and expectations around like what we find compelling and i do think that further seems forever are kind of a band's band like i don't think that the way that the, the how adventurous uh, and kind of from my view visionary uh, they are in like writing and crafting songs i don't think that that's something that translates particularly well like for just like music for lay people like i don't see people who aren't in bands getting stoked about this band like, like I, I just don't like i don't like I, I don't i don't like when fucking like snowbirds and townies comes on at emo night i don't see like um i don't see like fucking guys with it jobs and like you know moms getting fucking stoked and running to the dance floor shitting themselves i just don't but, like, but i matter. also think they're maybe not <laughs> one of these bands that just got passed down yeah that's true it's, i think it's it's bands for people whose beards are graying yeah absolutely that like didn't they the and it's just that goes to show you that like what we're witnessing now from like what gets there's a there's an iterative preservation and die-off that happens generation over generation with this stuff and to even survive one generation you've got to be really in a really fortunate seat in that you have to have the tracks you have to have one or two really banger records and you have to have been part of a really really big zeitgeist because all the stuff that really really still holds a lot of water from 20 years ago is stuff that was really well positioned in the cultural narrative and this band just wasn't and uh, it is what it is but um at the end of the day like we can still have a fun time and you know other other music nerds uh can still have a really fun time with this discography because it really has a lot of has a lot of richness in it yeah and i've beaten the horse a million times but if you want to understand emo from 20 years ago the moon is down is like a good snapshot it. it really is it's the most complete yeah that that's a really good point i'm glad you made it like it's it's i think kind of the most complete one-stop shop over uh, uh like about where where emo was at that yeah point. It i recommend the reflection point yeah I'd recommend Andrew Sacker did a little anniversary piece on Brooklyn Vegan if you want 
to read a little bit more about this yeah. record. Yeah, shout out, shout out, Andrew. Well, I'll link that piece in the in the show notes. Um, Andrew, friend of the pod. Um, yeah. Anything else, fellas? Um, yeah, I you hit everything I I wanted to add, which as far as legacy of like this is such a band's band. Yeah. Um, but um, like Hugo said, if we're gonna look back at this discography or this particular particularly just this band as far as their seminal importance in in the genre in the overwhelming genre world of emo and emo adjacent things the mood is down is incredibly important um i think as a, as he said perfectly like a snapshot um because what the whole idea of emo and uh, I, I think um, and even John Bunch ironically enough uh, he had first heard the term emo from the dudes in Sick of It, sick of it All yeah. um, and, and, and you can debate what it means and whatever but like they, they just were kind of like you know uh, these hardcore bands you know going soft but like just but still having the same spirit of putting it all on the table just emo, like emotional hardcore you know just like getting it all out being a little bit more introspective you can't find in my in my mind's eye a, a better painted picture than the moon is down for that expression because you have like these, literally these hardcore dudes from strong arm and then chris caraba just pulling his heart out and it's going there it is <sighs> yeah it's it, it's everything that emo was if, if we're going by the literal definition that pe people try to go with that's literally what it is is this hardcore spirit but then just putting your heart and cock and balls on the table and just going hey here it all is and it's um super important and just going back to um, just one last note, hide nothing. Um, as far as their legacy, um, anyone who's listening to this episode, I implore you, please um, it, listen to the album um, with kind of an open heart, open ears, obviously. And I think you'll really take away some, some of the most moving, inspirational, under the radar shit that you've probably ever heard. If you're a fan of anything remotely adjacent to this genre because um it's just so not typical but i would dare say vastly important i mean it's an anomaly but it's such an important anomaly because it's i think it's a note that needs to be expressed you know in a, in a, in a sea of genre that is just a lot of boo boo bee, boo you know or like uh, girl breaking up with me kind of kind of that desensitized time in the mid 2000s this was such a point that I wish had more of an emphasis yeah of like positivity and um, putting your heart on the line but like doing it in such a genuine and adult way and I think it um, people our age group who survived the early and mid 2000s and survived the myspace era this is that's definitely 
a record to re-explore and kind of go, wow, this is still relevant to 2022. You know, Literally, uh, when I saw uh, Further Play light up ahead um, down at Furnace Fest last year, I had my fucking giant body leaned against a tree, <laughs> sobbing incoherently while they were playing it because it still moved me that much. It wasn't even being sung by Bunch, but the spirit of Bunch was there. Those were his words. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of music and it's so sad that it got lost but the beauty of podcasting is you can <laughs> push the agenda a little more like please y'all listen to that record it was missed but it's such an important part of their legacy and if it's not looked at like that someone's fucking up <laughs> right up down my soapbox now i'm sorry and <laughs> yeah, no that's that's the fucking tea that's that's the tea that's being served here um Ian, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, it was thanks, really thanks for fucking having me. Um, Goddamn. Uh, this episode is going to be coming out on the uh, 17th. Um, so be announcing it, obviously, uh, when it when it happens. Um, anything else before we sign off, fellas? Wow. Just an honor to be here. Uh, well, we, we love having you. Um, thank you for making time for us. And uh, listeners some good stuff in the show notes uh, that we mentioned, including playlist with this relatively brief discography. Um, thanks for joining us as you will get out there and uh, get out there and create some culture. Peace and love.